Are you? We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. This morning, our topic is coastal water quality. Water quality for shellfish and for people. And we have some folks in the studio who can help us with that. And later on, we'll be talking with Senator Snow Mello, who is chair of the Marine Resources Committee, and uh, get some of her insights into the work of uh, the legislature on this regard. In the studio with us, we welcome back Joe Parada. Uh, Joe is chair of the Frenchman's Bay Regional Shellfish Committee and was guest on our show, I think, about a year ago, talking about uh, how to, how to uh, cooperate um, among towns to get shellfish going. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you. Nice to be here. And Carrie Lindbergh. Carrie is a colleague of mine with Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant, and she's the coordinator of the Maine Healthy Beaches Program. Welcome to you, Carrie. Good morning. Uh, Joe, we'll start with you. Uh, give us a little bit of background. How did you become interested in coastal water quality? It, it probably makes sense to someone who knows that you deal with clams and you're also an aquaculturist, but when did it all, uh, this all began to kind of click for you? I suppose specific to what we're doing here today, is uh, the fact that in, in, a, in Hancock and Lemoyne, uh, the Skillen is the Skillens River, which kind of is on the, on the border, and we we have a few uh, bacterial closures there now, when previous to, but now um, uh, uh, approximately a third of the Skillens River got closed last January due to bacterial con- contamination. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you say closed, that's closed to clamming. Yeah, n- no shellfish can be harvested in there. Mm-hmm. Um, although it is a rest- it's a restricted area, so it could possibly be depuration, Doug, which is a, that means that it can be harvested and taken to sort of a, sanita- a water sanitation plant and then cleaned that way and then sold. But um, in any case, this, this area, which is probably something like two miles long and um, a mile wide in a couple of places, but extends in... in in estuaries up into the shoreland, it is is a has been a, a very major source of income for a bunch of diggers, who now have had to move off into different areas, and then um, knowing that um, we began a seed program, to, we were going to start moving seed and planting seed, possibly from the Downey's Institute hatchery, and also from areas where there are naturally occurring seed clams that don't get very big, and we and Hannah Annis, who works for the DMR. Um, mentioned that Bob Goodwin, who's a DMR scientist, talked about the possibility of uh, some escalating uh, coliform, which is bacterial, harmful bacterial um, levels in, in other areas, and recommended that we not put seed in a couple of places because it's probably going to be closed anyway. Mm. And that he was talking about another possible several hundred acres closure, which is still a possibility, though it has not happened yet. So, so you were beginning to see a direct effect from what was happening um, on the land, yeah. um, affecting marine water quality that affected the safety of, of your your shellfish. Yeah, and uh, and certainly we, we want to keep our, our jobs secure and our opportunities for income secure. And, and meanwhile, we don't want to hurt anybody. 
and and then you know then you none of us I'm sure from from a retailer to to the Department of Marine Resources don't want to see somebody getting sick from shellfish written up in the Los Angeles Times or something like that. Mm. So it's, it's a pretty big issue for uh, for us and and I'm um, and I I just felt that we needed to really start looking at it more and more and uh, and that's right around the time I called you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you know we start talking to farmers and you sp- you find beaver, you find um animals on ne- on or next to stream beds or on little drainage ditches and and then you start finding other things. Mm. So. And you said um, one of your inspirations was also listening to <laughs> another show on uh, Talk of the Towns called Baby Talk. Yes. Just want to give us that kind of uh, insight as to what happened on that show? Well, I, I, I like to listen to Baby Talk whenever I happen to be near radio when it's on. I like the show a lot. And they were talking about um, cloth diapers and, and that kind of thing. And and um, so I'm listening, and this woman comes on and... and and I have to say, she was only talking about pee diapers. <laughs> but I wanted to, you know, that's, but I don't think that um, washing your diapers in any way is, is appropriate in the ocean. But anyway, she talked, she started talking about, um, in a kind of idyllic way, about how it was so nice to take her baby's diapers down to the ocean, rinse them in the tide, and dry them on the rocks. And, and I was like, oh, no, I got a call. So <laughs> I got up my courage, and I, because I was, I knew that I might be stepping into a place that might be a little bit tougher. And I, sure. And I, but I called and I, I talked about it with them and, and, um, and I just said, please never wash your diapers in the ocean. Right. And uh, when I got off the, uh, got off the phone, there was, you know, two seconds of silence. And then I can't remember the woman's name who runs the show. She said something like, well, I guess we don't know everything. Right. Well, I think that's the, that's the, the why we do these shows yep. is to try to help people understand what these issues are and what they can do about them. Yep. And uh, yep. that's a really practical um, example. And, and it was probably out of ignorance. It wasn't um, malicious, certainly. No, definitely not. Right. Yeah. It, was right. A, it was a nice thing on the coast of Maine. Right. But, but that can make people sick. Yeah. So. Carrie, give us a little bit of your background um, and your work for Cooperative Extension and, and Sea Grant. First of all, what are those two organizations? P- people know that I'm associated with it, but I don't usually kind of give a little description. So you, you could do that. Well, I like to think of Cooperative Extension as the bridge between the university and Maine communities. We bring research, resources, uh, information, and make it relevant and useful mm. to people in their everyday lives. Mm. And then Maine Sea Grant um, is funded through NOAA mm-hmm. at the national level. And we also uh, work with coastal communities and fisheries, aquaculture, uh, sustainable uh, uh Development, uh, ecotourism. Um, uh, what else? I mean, what right. else? There's a lot of the access issues. You name it. We sure. we pretty much cover the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how about yourself? How did you get interested in in water and water quality as as a young person, yeah. and then maybe coming up to your 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 degrees? Yeah. Well, since I can remember, I've been interested in water. And gosh, even when I was ten years old, I said, "Water, clean water, is going to be more precious than oil someday." Mm. People mm. kind of looked at me funny, but I, I don't <laughs> think they would look, you know, they, they might agree with me nowadays. Mm. Um, but I hail from the Midwest, and my undergraduate research was in ecotoxicology, harmful pesticides in the aquatic ecosystem. So I focused mostly on lakes, rivers, and stream systems. And then I came out to Maine, uh, January 1st, 2003 was mm. my first day on the job. I was an AmeriCorps Maine Conservation Corps volunteer. And then I was within 
Cooperative Extension then, and I worked on the Maine Healthy Beaches grant as well as some other smaller environmental grants that looked at phytoplankton monitoring, invasive species monitoring. Um, but that was when I started with Healthy Beaches. So it's been about eight and a half years. Mm. And I'm sort of the classic, you know, transplant story. I haven't been able to leave. I love <laughs> Maine and I love my work. And um, I guess what I love about most about my work is that interface between freshwater and saltwater and making that connection between land use and coastal water quality. Because, of course, what we do on our land is going to affect our water resources, and those systems are inextricably linked. Mm. Um, and so the Maine Healthy Beaches program is uh, basically statewide, or uh, sorry, coastwide, Kittery to Mount Desert Island, of course, down east beaches, uh, we typically don't monitor for swimming because not a lot of swimming happens there. <laughs> uh, we're focused on big, public, sandy, right. guarded beaches. Uh, so it's quite a large program. We currently have 61 beaches monitored, uh, basically Memorial through Labor Day is mm -hmm. our season. And uh, from the very beginning, we were committed to uh, helping communities find, fix, and prevent sources of pollution in the first place because we said, well, hey, we're going to do this shoreland monitoring, shoreline monitoring, uh, and if we open this can of worms, we've got to we've got to help communities figure it out. So, mm. what I really love about my work to so. be actually able to fix the problems. Yes, yeah. and unlike uh, say mercury or other heavy metals, things that are rather persistent in our environment. The good news about bacteria is that once you remove that source, you can see measurable improvements in water quality almost instantly. So we can make a difference, right? This is something we can change. Mm -hmm. And there's many, many success stories where we have. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Well, both of you could kind of um, help um, our listeners understand what are the primary threats to the water quality that you're talking about. You're talking about mm -hmm. bacterial threats. Um, but what, what are the sources of those, of those problems? Joe, you get started and then Carrie, fill sure. in. Well, if we're talking about coliform, which relates to, to most of the bacterial closures on the, on the coast of Maine and I'm, I'm sure in other shellfishing areas, um, the, they all come from warm-blooded animals. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the, the, common, the, the common thread between all the closures is a warm-blooded creature of some variety, be it humans or beavers or ducks mm -hmm. uh, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So um, and that's... that's uh, and Carrie, what would you Just add to that um, in terms of the, the, where the threats are coming from? Right. Well, we're most concerned about human sources of fecal pollution and human illness. In terms of swim beaches? Is, that's, uh, for yeah. recreational water contact. Okay. And uh, not saying that the deer and the beaver and our pets, our dogs and our catways, they can also make us sick. But that, that potential risk to human health hasn't been quantified by, say, epidemiological studies, human health studies, as well as the human to human. Mm. And I would say our uh, biggest threat to, uh, say, beach advisories, right? When we, we don't close beaches typically. We post advisories alerting the public. There's that potential of getting sick from the water. But I would say malfunctioning septic systems on people's lawns uh, are, is probably the number one, I guess, um, enemy of, of clean water along the coast. There's also, um, say, overboard discharges. Those are being phased out over time. Um, and things don't always work as well as they do on paper, we're finding. So typically, sewered areas, municipal sewer lines, somebody may indeed be paying their sewer bill, but it was never connected properly. And it's oftentimes going into the storm drain and draining to the ocean untreated. 
So we um, work very closely with municipalities to do what they call IDDE studies, illicit discharge detection and elimination, where oftentimes they'll take cameras and smoke tests and dye tests to find those illicit or cross connections. Mm -hmm. well, so, Joe, your your concern around shellfish um, primarily is is all fo forms of, of coliform, because the when you test when the D Department of Marine Resources tests, they don't care if it's from a beaver or, or from a human. They know that there's a problem and someone might get sick from it. I think they do care if it's from a beaver. I know they care if it's from a beaver or a human, um, but a any any combination, may maybe the human content is would put it to a level, say, of 60 or 70% of a closure status. But then there may be enough coliform from other sources to, to raise it above the allowable level for safety. Mm -hmm. So, so it, we, we might be we, looking at um, livestock on farms, anything that, that we can control. We probably can't do much about beaver and deer no. and ducks, mm -hmm. but we can look at those human-influenced um, causes of, of pollution, identify them, and yeah. then, as Carrie said, kind of how, how can we help landowners and municipalities mm -hmm. deal with those issues? Yeah, you know, oftentimes I don't think the person that's living upriver or upstream is making the connection that, say, their manure pile is too close to the stream bank or they're uh, piling their pet waste uh, in sort of the same situation or their malfunctioning septic system is causing either shellfish bed closures or, you know, beach advisories a ways downriver, it doesn't take much. Mm. That's the thing, is that we monitor our indicator organism for healthy beaches is enterococcus. And like fecal coliform or E. coli, these other indicators of fecal contamination doesn't tell us whether it's human or non-human. It doesn't differentiate. Yeah, yeah. Now, for public health of monitoring shellfish, for human consumption or human um, interaction with water, that's okay because we're protecting public health. But when we want to know, is it Farmer Fred's cow or, you know, your Joe, your, your compost pile that's causing the issue, we do want to have that information. Yep. And so we typically add another parameter, which is looking at optical brighteners in the water mm. column. Now, in theory, and it's not always cut and dry, but if you couple high bacteria counts, no matter what the indicator is, with high optical brightener levels, you can have a good indication that it's human sourced. Um, optical brighteners are whitening agents. They're in our personal care products, laundry detergents. They make our whites whiter. So how we use that information, it's, it's more than just a monitoring program. It's transferring that data to usable information. So say the municipality, the local codes, or plumbing inspector can then survey properties, do a sanitary survey, targeted priority list of areas, looking for those malfunctions. I mean, it really takes that magnifying glass to land use practices to, to figure out where it's coming from. Mm. Now, typically it's land-based, but not always, because in some areas, boats may be dumping untreated sewage overboard, or there's a sewage treatment plant that, because of heavy flooding or whatever reason, has gone offline. So it's not always land-based, but it's typically making that connection. And of course, when it rains, it all runs off. Mm. And whether it runs to the rivers, streams, and storm drains, it all goes to the ocean eventually. So um, it's, again, a, lot, a big part of my work is helping people make that connection because it's easy to point fingers, mm -hmm. right, and say, well, it's, it's your Palmer problem. Joe yeah. Or, yes, right. yeah, it's right. your malfunctioning septic system right. or it's the town's this. 
we all have a role to play mm -hmm. in clean water. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Joe, well, you were talking, and we, we did invite folks from the Department of Marine Resources to be here because they have such a crucial role. They're getting ready for an internal and federal review, so they just don't have the staff to, to do that right now. But um, you can talk a little bit about their role. They have two kinds of closures. One is when they detect um, uh, uh, septics, uh, you know, uh, coliform that might be coming from septic systems that yep. can't be solved, but they also close when there are storm events and material that are, are just washed off off the land. So talk a little bit about that. Yep. Uh, we'll start with the, the, the storm, or what we call them just rain closures. Um, like Carrie said, during a, a significant rain event, everything, coliform and other stuff, um, just it rolls down to the ocean. Mm -hmm. So it, it, here, there's a, a two-inch a two-inch rainfall limit. If, if there's two inches of rain, the flats are automatically closed until it, I think it's two, three clean tests. You know what that one is, Carrie? I can't mm. remember. Is it two? But anyways, they, they need to test over the course of a week to seven days and, and come up with a, a, something that verifies the water is clean again. But they can't even do it for a couple of days after the rain event. Um, they got to let it all kind of flush out yeah. And then go back and start yeah. testing again. Yeah. Okay. And um, so that that's one type of closure, and that's just that's a standard procedure. Mm -hmm. And um, the uh, the other, it's also a standard procedure. Where they have, uh, we'll take for example, um, um, part of uh, e Egypt Stream in in Hancock, Egypt Bay, it's called. There's a, they don't know what the point source actually is there. Though there's a person with a horse. There's a large population of beavers upstream, and um, they don't believe it's human. So, although humans may be a contributing factor, but they they test um, certain areas. They have, they have what are called testing stations, and if they find the coliform level to be at an unacceptable level, the area is automatically closed. And they have to ha they have to have an average, I believe it's uh, from thirty tests, and they have to uh, over that average they have to come out below uh, the allowable amount, which is. Uh, I think it's 32 parts per liter. Do you know that one, Carrie? I don't know. Anyways, yeah. it's, 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 it's an, a measure yeah. of, of coliform cells per volume of water. Mm -hmm. And then once they, they know where that, that coliform area is, they put a fairly significant outlying buffer. So, uh, and then they have to have an enforceable line. So the warden can come up and say, okay, there's somebody digging inside that line there. They're, they're going to be busted. But, um, that that allow first they know where the coliform is they can't open it till there's a they know there's a, the edge of a clo of an open clean area and then um and then the area is established and there's quite a few up and down the coast of maine mm -hmm. and um varying varying degrees of animal and human and and in our area bob goodwin the, the scientist from lemoyne um, he believes that agriculture is a significant contributor to to that so those are the two categories and a pretty you know, brief explanation mm -hmm. of them Good. I just want to remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're focusing on coastal water quality for shellfish and for people. And in our studios are Joe Parada. Joe is the, the chair of the French's Bay Regional Shellfish Committee and an aquaculturist who, whose livelihood really depends on fresh um, and clean water um, in the marine sector. And Carrie Lindbergh. Carrie is the coordinator of the Maine Healthy Beaches Program for University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. And her interest is making sure that when 
we swim at uh, Maine's uh, 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 marine beaches, sandy beaches, that um, it's safe. So glad to have both of you with us. Um, a little later on, we'll open up our phone lines and, and uh, ask for your contributions to this show, your experience, your questions. Um, make a note of this number, one 625 9378 So, Carrie, as in your work, um, let's say you're, you're working, you're helping um, monitor. Actually, how do you do that? You don't do all the monitoring. You've, you work with volunteers. Oh, to do that. absolutely. Right. Um, <laughs> between myself and uh, my colleague, um, we'll train almost 200 volunteers and local level staff to collect water samples uh, according to our field protocol. We'll also train uh, some of the laboratories that do the analysis and that protocol as well. Uh, and then we also do a lot of meetings and trainings with beach managers. Now, that's sort of a hot potato because it's an add-on to a full, very full schedule. And oftentimes it's your town administrators, your fire chiefs, your park rangers or park managers and the like. Um, so I deal with a, a quite a diverse population of people. And, you know, I love that. I love making science relevant, again, to their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. And beaches are a big deal for many communities. And it's really the bread and butter of, of a lot of areas. So we want to have uh, confidence in the data that we're collecting. And because important decisions are based on that information, whether or not to post or keep a beach unposted kind of a big deal. And when you post an advisory, say to a place like Old Orchard Beach, that has a ripple effect on the community, the economy, people's perception. However, we do want to do the right thing by protecting public health. So when we post an advisory, and that's typically a decision that's made between our staff, Healthy Beaches staff, and then those local level beach managers. We do that cooperatively. Um, we don't base it on just a bacteria count alone, because unlike the DMR program, where they're looking at, say, the, uh, the pattern over a 30-day period, we're sort of this knee-jerk reaction to a single sample, right? What is this one sample bag say? What's that bacteria count? Oftentimes, beaches have multiple monitoring sites. So, but we also look at risk of pollution. What are the factors along the shoreline or up in the larger watershed, right? The watershed is the land area that drains to that water body. I've already mentioned what's, what's happening offshore. Is there funny business that's bringing contaminants to the beach, say, on a flooding tide? Um, so, but every beach has its own set of characteristics, its own risk of pollution, its own circulation as well. Places like Old Orchard, I'll, I'll pick on them. It's a very flat, well-flushed beach. So when we have an exceedance in bacteria, which is often very rare for Old Orchard, we resample right away. It comes back clean 100% of the time. Mm. So we know that it's not a chronic, more persistent pollution issue. But some of these, say, crescent-shaped beaches don't always flush out very well with the semi-diurnal tides that come mm -hmm. in and come mm -hmm. out twice a day. Mm -hmm. You know, as they say in Maine, it's hard telling not knowing. And sometimes we've researched, um, or I'm sorry, we've partnered with researchers, say, from the Maine Geological Survey to do acoustic Doppler profiling and circulation studies because we want to know what is the fate and the transport of pollutants that are leaving those river systems and those streams and storm drains. So, so you kind of um, develop an individual profile of each beach to say what's what's normal, what's what's happening normal, and then when you get some problem, you can kind of say, well, this might be the cause, and we can attack that. Absolutely, cause. Right. and and to help beach managers understand, 
you know, again, what is their risk of pollution and what is their typical worst case scenario for water quality? And, and most often that is during an ebbing tide stage where the, those freshwater inputs have the greatest impact or influence on surf zone water quality and certainly during and following rainfall conditions. Mm. But it might be on crowded beach days. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about babies in swim diapers, you know, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And yeah. let me to be gross here, but our bodies can shed a certain amount of bacteria. <laughs> You're using the beach as your bathroom. But there's things that we can do, um, not only up in the larger watershed, you know, pump out your septic system, keep your buffers along the streams to trap runoff and pollutants. But when you're at the beach, you know, take your children to, um, well, keep them in swim diapers, take them to the bathroom often, and don't feed waterfall. Mm. That's a big thing. You know, people <laughs> love that. It's part of the beach experience. It's thrilling. Yeah. They take it out of your hand. Right. The, but it's the seagulls and the ducks. Exactly. And, yeah. and it's bad for those animals. And it's bad for water quality because their waste can indeed make us sick. Right. And our safety limit for beaches is 104 enterococci per 100 milliliters of sample water. It does not take much. It could indeed be one gull's dropping that's captured in that sample bag that, calls that, that causes that exceedance in safety, mm -hmm. in the safety limit. So, and then there's also things like scooping our dog waste. You know, it's important. I have a dog. I love dogs. But it's also important to, to be a responsible pet owner and to pick, pick up your waste mm -hmm. for, for everybody's mm -hmm. benefit. Joe, as you work with uh, clam diggers, what role do they play in, in thinking about the whole question of water quality? How do they help educate their fellow citizens about these issues? Well, we're hoping that this show is going to do some of that. Right. And um, we, we, uh, we just recently had a meeting, a, a clam committee meeting, in which I think probably something like 25 to 30 of our diggers showed up. And we, we talk about things we need to do with water quality. And one of the things we did last year in, in the Skillings River closure area, we uh, probably five or six teams of two or three um, walked that entire shoreline separately. And we, we found a few issues around so there. So you're just kind of walking the area. You probably have um, some some things that you're looking for. Yep. Um, what kinds of things might you know cause you to think, oh, there might be a problem here? Well, like maybe some discolored water coming out of a, a rivulet or a brook. Um, if we notice... Uh, animals along the shore. I know some people found some dumped kitty litter boxes on the mm -hmm. shore. So and I think the things that uh, Carrie is talking about that, that affect beaches and swimming um, can, can go directly into the food chain as well. And most of the clam diggers are very cognizant of that and, and pay attention to it. And, and, and I, I have and others have talked to people about walking their dogs on the shore. And um, and some areas have been have been closed because because of dogs mm -hmm. or suspected because of dogs, mm -hmm. and um, some of that's been been stopped. So you you and your fellow um, clamors were kind of walking the shore, looking yeah. for areas that might cause problems. What did you do with that information? Well, we we actually got maps from Bob Goodwin, the, the scientist for DMR, and he, and we checked them off, mm -hmm. and um, and noted where where those areas were, and we gave them to Bob mm -hmm. and. Um, so and he was typically, what would then what would happen with that information? Well, it's it, he he will and has tried to find find the point sources and talk to the farmers or or uh, I think he he would probably have to go on to these properties with a local plumbing inspector should there be thoughts of a overboard discharge or a malfunctioning septic system. So, but in any case, 
we as diggers, I know all of us um, that I've all, I'll talk to and come to these meetings always are always on the lookout for something that doesn't look right on the shore. Uh-huh. And they'll they'll call me or they'll call our warden or possibly DMR to say, look, there's, there's something that doesn't look right here. And, and often it's nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know one person said they, they saw a pipe sticking out of the ground over in Trenton. And it ended up just being, it was just, it wasn't really anything. It was just an old pipe that was sticking out of the ground. <laughs> it didn't really do anything. Right. But, um, so the, the hope is that this kind of on-the-ground information then gets translated to people who can kind of use it in a, in yeah. a healthy way, a good way. Um, and where do town officials come in, in in your program? And then we'll talk with, with uh, Karen. Well, in our, in our program, the, ta- the town officials are, are, are helping to, to work with us on this. I, I don't, I can't say we've had uh, a, a real... Uh, strong partnership yet with with our town officials and working to find these pollution sources but we're a very new organization mm-hmm. and the, the town officials are certainly very into helping us with it we we are you know, we're making steps towards more and more working with them and uh, i know that um the town of lemoyne one of the selectmen there is uh, really involved with this uh, dick fenley and our warden mike hall he's always paying attention to things looking for looking for issues a couple of clam diggers a one excuse me one clam digger um Bill Fenley has taken um, Bob Goodwin out in his boat, and they've done some offshore sampling rather than walking in, mm-hmm. and um, and we're looking at possibly increasing that uh, that kind of testing. Because so in, in your case, these are I think seven towns yeah, um, yeah, around yeah. Uh, French's Bay who have said we think it makes sense to do things jointly, yeah, even yeah. though the you're not no individual town is ceding all authority to the no, to the co- no, cooperative agreement, but. So individual towns still have that responsibility yeah, to check these out. We, we are working with the towns, and like I said, it's, it's sort of a developing process. And I know that there are programs that are available to us, and I'm, I'm told that there's, I, I think last year there was a program to help with uh, mitigation of overboard discharges, especially for towns who had ordinances. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's, you know, overboard discharges are a really big thing, and I, maybe this is a off track, but um, a lot of people don't know that about the overboard discharge issue it doesn't have to be a malfunctioning overboard discharge to close a, a clamming area. It's, it's an automatic closure. It, even if the system is working perfectly, mm-hmm. hasn't malfunctioned, there's a possibility that it could. Mm-hmm. So there is, a, a, by law, a closure around that overboard discharge system mm-hmm. there. And Kerry, um, again, remind listeners that they're, they're tuned to WERU and Talk of the Towns. We're talking about coastal water quality for shellfish and people. You've just heard from Joe Parada. Joe is an aquaculturist, and he's also the chair of the Frenchman's Bay Regional Shellfish Committee. And Carrie Lindbergh is with us. She's the coordinator of the Maine Healthy Beaches Program for University of Maine Cooperative Extension in Sea Grant. Carrie, as you work with town officials, you've kind of identified some likely sources of pollution um, that are affecting um, the, the, uh, the posting of a swim beach, then what do you do with that information? Well, our our typical um, mode of operation is, you know, high bacteria levels on the beach, then we'll move up into those rivers and stream systems and intensify the bacteria monitoring. I've also mentioned the optical brighteners. Now, pretty much we've moved to, every time we collect a bag for bacteria, we're collecting another for optical brightener analysis. And then what we've done in many areas is use geographical information systems, which is not only a powerful tool visually for mapping and compiling all your data in one place, but it also can be a wonderful analytical tool. And it can help you answer some of these questions like, we'll couple and we'll integrate bacteria data with optical brightener data and then kind of sandwich it together with attributes of that watershed, right? Does it have 
a storm drain network? Uh, is it on a wetlands? What's the slope? Things like that. And then we uh, also feed in sort of where are the parcels, the map lots, that have uh, subsurface wastewater disposal, i.e. a septic system. And so where are high-risk areas for pollution? We're not saying there are problems there, but if there were going to be, if there was a problem on this property, it has a high likelihood of causing contamination at a nearby water body. So basically, we hand a priority list of properties to that local codes and plumbing inspector and say, okay, start here. Here's tier one. You might have 200 properties to survey within this watershed. These are, well, you know, our data is saying these are priority. Let's use our data, have it work for us. And then it's sort of a gift because, again, it's an add-on to a very full schedule. Mm. And it can be quite overwhelming. Great. We'll, some, come, we'll yeah. come back to that because, basically, you're trying to create a model that you can then use over time to kind of give you some hints. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to that. But I want to welcome Senator um, Lois Snowmello to the program. Uh, Lois is the chair of the Marine Resources Committee in the Maine State Legislature. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Lois. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so glad you called. Well, and tell us a little bit about the DMR, uh, excuse me, the Marine Resources Committee um, that you chair. Um, how is that um, made up and what kinds of issues do you deal with, um, have you dealt with in the last legislative session? Well, it, it is the Marine Resources Committee, so you know that we, um, it, it goes along with the title. We, ha we address all issues relating to uh, the oceans, to the 500 miles of coastline, um, we, we deal with uh, issues uh, relating to all ground fish, all, you know, everything, everything marine, lobsters, clams, uh, you know, scallops, it, the whole deal. Great. And um, it was my pleasure to, um, uh, to chair the committee this year, and we've tried to make great strides, especially on how can we promote our, uh, uh, well, we, wor we worked with the saltwater fishing license. We tried to make that a fairer program than what was in place. And um, along with, because you know the federal regulations uh, required us to um, register people, but we decided we didn't want that, so we uh, opted in for um, a program that people can go to their town hall and just sign up and, uh, you know, to get their uh, a fishing, a saltwater fishing license. But, um, David, Senator Trahan, that person you ought to really have on because he's the expert in that area. He did a great job, I think. Um, and how about the issue of, uh, did you um, encounter issues around water quality? Um, oh, yes, we did. Yes. And, and that is, that's going to be an ongoing issue. And matter of fact, I have a, uh, something I'm hoping in the future we'll, we'll be able to, there is a, a, a lab down in uh, Scarborough that can test water quality so uh, far quicker than we can currently can, okay, without using mice. And it's phenomenal. They can do it in 15 minutes. And so, but, so I'm going to be introducing this gentleman to our committee uh, for the next session. Um, and he is currently working with the commissioner of DMR to see um, how we can get this whole thing up and going. But water quality is absolutely important, especially for a clam. So we have several bills that 
that address that. And um, the committee as a whole just feels that we have to keep our waters clean um, because that that only makes the quality of our seafood all the better. And so we have a number of bills addressing processing plants and arsenic in the water, and then it came up with, like, uh, natural versus um, man-made arsenic and try to, you know, distinguish between the two. Um, It certainly was a learning a learning session for me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> what were some of the What were some of the, the highlights of what what you learned as as uh, chairing the the committee this year? Well, it's a very delicate balance. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you never you never seem to make anybody happy, completely <laughs> happy. That's for sure. And uh, I love our fishermen. I love them because they're passionate people, and they. This is their job, so we want to make sure, the committee wanted to make sure that they had work and that we did the best that we could to help them in their profession so we get better seafood and, you know, healthier, um, you know, seafood that people can feel, you know, confident in eating. And, um, but, but I think the issues is just such a delicate balance between town's rights fishermen's rights, you know, the quality of the seafood. Um, we also, the big, big thing that we want to do is promote our seafood. And we feel that in the past it hasn't been done well. Even though the few few people on the uh, Lobster Promotion Council tried their best, but they, but they didn't have enough folks on there that were willing to, uh, you know, do what they needed to do. If it doesn't benefit them, why should they you know, a volunteer, it's a volunteer position. So why should they be active in it? Well, we need to get some folks on that Seafood Promotion Council that do it because they believe in the cause and, you know, and and, uh, don't feel they're getting anything out of it but are willing to put something into it. And I think think just by helping get promoting promoting our seafood, whether it's lobster, I'd like to actually broaden that to all seafood and so so you know uh other states and and nationally maine and internationally maine is 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 uh on the tip of everyone's tongue right you know? <laughs> like uh, as a, that we've got a great product and um i know when i went down to boston to the seafood show i'll, I'll tell you when uh, i heard that when lobster went out to uh japan and overseas that and uh, other countries said it was known as Boston lobster. Uh-oh. And I'm saying, oh, don't <laughs> like that at all. So, right. so that, so so that you're, you're, you get a sense that um, uh, the people who are making their living from uh, fishing or clamming, they really understand the, the, the need for water quality because that oh, directly yeah. impacts their livelihoods and yeah. the marketability of our products um, overseas. Yes, and a matter of fact, I was one of the legislators that uh, sponsored one of the bills to uh, uh, sponsored one of the bills that would uh, make uh, the um, shoreline zoning bring it back to seventy five feet. And so I'll tell you, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so because and, you heard and, from people, you heard from people that that wasn't like clamors. Yeah, right. And, 
And so our creamers were, we said, yeah, and I told them, well, what about property rights? You know, people buy this property, and they've had it for years, and they want to build on it, and now all of a sudden they can't. Now, this is their right. Constitutionally, they should be able to do this. So how can we do it, allow them to build, but also keep our water clean and mm. keep our ground clean, you know? And, and um so uh, there's all kinds of ways we can do it. We made some changes that, you know, I think moved us in the right direction, but still respected the quality of keeping that quality of the water, which is uh, so extremely, extremely important. Great. So it's an ongoing process of balance. How do you protect people's property rights, and then how do you keep our water clean? Good. And and then we found out by putting shrubs along the, you know, uh, uh, you know when I grew up, um, we never had grass on the lawn. You know, it was all just dirt and natural, and so this was never an issue. But now people put the lawn; they grow these beautiful lawns and then they they put chemicals on the lawn and or they live too close close to the shore and so then the waste products get in so how do you how do you uh do this and you but you still able to screen you know from any pollution and uh, we did there are several kind of plants and shrubs you can put up that will screen that so great great well thanks so things. much Thanks so much for taking time to, to be with us this morning on Talk of the Towns, and, and, and thanks for your work on the Department of Marine, I mean the Marine Resources Committee. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us. You can see I'm a talkaholic, and I love this. <laughs> I, I really love this area of law. So, uh, But thank you for having me, and, and people have any questions, and they, have any, they want to contact me and things that they think we ought to be doing, they can contact me. I'm right on. I have Facebook, and I'm also taking, you know, get in touch with me on my email, sendlois at roadrunner.com, or go online and find my telephone okay. number. Give me a call, okay? Great. Thanks so much, Senator Snow Mello. Oh, you're welcome. Have a great day. You Thank too. You. That was Senator Lois Snow Mello, who is chair of the Marine Resources Committee, um, obviously enthusiastic about uh, her role in um, looking at water quality. Uh, we're also here in the studio are Carrie Lindbergh, who is the coordinator of, coordinator of the Maine Healthy Beaches Program for University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant, and uh, Joe Parada, who's chair of the Frenchman's Bay Regional Shellfish Committee. We welcome your calls at this time. Give us a call at one 866 625-9378. That's one 625 or locally 469-0500. Give us a call as we talk about coastal water quality for shellfish and people. Before we talk with uh, Senator Snow Mello, um, Carrie, you were talking about the kind of um, using um, geographic information systems and local knowledge to kind of build a model of a beach so that you can better help local officials and local property owners deal with potential threats to swim beaches. Yeah, absolutely. And when we do have this targeted list of properties that then need to be surveyed by the local codes or plumbing inspector, we oftentimes partner them up with somebody from the Department of Environmental Protection because there's always, it's great to have two eyes and two nose in the field looking for these contamination. Um, it's not always easy to find. You don't always have that red flag or that smoking gun saying, aha, 
that's a malfunctioning septic system. So sometimes you have to survey and resurvey, um, but it's been a been a great thing having the Department of Environmental Protection manage this program because they are the managers of the healthy beaches because it's been adding that value, things that I'm certainly not skilled in that. You know, mm -hmm. they have that capacity to help communities when they're in these tough spots. Mm. And whether it's looking at these sewer lines for cross connections, they have that technical expertise and that ability. And it's really forging, part of my work is forging that relationship between the communities and the DEP, because we're all focused on strategies, remediation, solutions. So mm -hmm. it's really working together to, to make a difference. And we absolutely have to collaborate on these things because it's, it's, it can be big, mm. it can be overwhelming. But we've had so many successes where we have found these sources, cleaned them up, and we have improved beach water quality. Mm. And Joe, I assume that the same story can be told from the, uh, the clamorous standpoint. When you find problems, most people want to take care of them. Yep. I'd like to ask Carrie a question yes. about the optical brighteners. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't, that, that's specific to human coliform? No, it is picking up those whitening agents. And we have oh, I see. I see. what okay. we have yeah. called a fluorometer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we can actually measure that concentration. Okay, and I was just trying to figure out how yeah. I, I was misunderstanding that a little yeah. bit. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, it's, so it's a parallel kind of testing so that you can suspect that if there's whiteners there, this is a human influence. Right, right. Yeah. alongside the, the high bacteria. I didn't levels. know if you were yeah. meaning that it was a, something you added to... to sort of fluoresce something that was already in the oh, water pump. Oh, no, right, no. But that's, that's a way that they often will test for septic systems. They will put a dye in that can be then traced right. downstream. Right, right, right. right. Well, These are different. Yeah. yeah, and the technology is rapidly advancing as far as the laboratory piece, the analysis, because w what we're learning through these, uh, the research community is saying we should really be looking at viruses, and those like norovirus have the potential to make us very, very sick. Uh, sort of bacteria, um, but the technology as far as DNA ribotyping, DNA, RNA ribotyping, it's so quickly advancing. It's not quite ready for prime time, but you'll hear this microbial source tracking where it will give you sort of the composite of the sample. What percentage is human? What percentage is dog or beer, beaver or deer? The point is, is that then it's transferred to, okay, well, let's implement best practices in that watershed to... Right work with the farmers or work with, you know, mm -hmm. the property owners. So. We have a phone call. Um, someone called 1-866-625-9378. Um, welcome to Talk of the Towns. If you'd give us your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, hi, this is Norman calling from Surrey. Yes. I have a couple of questions about the Head Morgan Bay, which I think uh, Joe's familiar with that area. Um, over the years, there's been an ongoing issue with coliform, and the flats have been closed off and on. Uh, and I just have a, a series of questions about how about the source that I call for them. There is a beaver colony a few about half mile from the head of the bay, and uh, I may, may have missed this. You may have talked about it already, but can you distinguish between call form that's sourced from beaver or humans? Uh, Carrie um, Lindbergh was just addressing that. I we, that we, we probably um, will get there eventually, but we're probably not there yet. Is that right, Carrie? Absolutely, right. yeah. It's still, it's sort of fledgling, the, right. the technology, but it's rapidly uh, underway. But, so. but the testing can be done. It's just extremely expensive at this point. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the other question is, uh, you mentioned dogs on the beach. There's uh, the Carter Nature Preserve near the head of the bay, and people do walk dogs there. My, 
my question is, how many dogs? Uh, <laughs> is it one dog a week or ten dogs a, a month? Or you know, how many dogs makes a difference? And what can what can a dog walker do yeah. to to prevent um, problems? So, Joe, you got a sense well, of that? Well, yeah, I have a sense of maybe Kiri has a better one, but I. One of the things is is the further away from the shore the the dogs might relieve themselves, the better. If you pick it up, that's um, way that's that's probably the best preventative method. Please don't walk them right on the shoreline or down near the rocks because then it goes directly into the water. And one of the things that that um, I've talked the scientists in Lemoyne have said is maybe you just walk your dog on the shore and I come behind you and take uh, with a sample bag. And I don't know that that dog poop is over there, and I've just taken a sample next to it, and I've got this extreme high level. Um, that would result in a, in a, in a, in a likely um, elevation of the coliform level. By, uh, by average, that would end up closing a clam flat. And, um, so now, the answer to his question, it could only be one dog. Yeah, one, <laughs> one dog one time could, you know, out of just, you know, out of just chance could, could cause it. But I guess the big thing might be cumulative dog waste on the shore, especially after a rainfall, would uh, would definitely cause a big issue and could well make someone sick. Yeah. Now, as far as just one more thing about the head of Morgan Bay, and maybe you know, um, many years ago, I don't know how many, but there was an actual uh, straight pipe going into that brook somewhere upstream with uh, right directly from someone's toilet. That's been, that's been fixed many years ago, but that had been the case there and is, is likely the case in other places now. Other questions from you, sir? Oh, yeah, it's, it's true. that There was that case, and I think it was about three years ago. Uh, I don't know about the pipe going directly in the stream, but there was a failed system there that was corrected, but the problem persists. Um, yeah, back to the dogs. It's, uh, it is a good, it's a really important question. I'm also, I work with the um, Blue Heritage Trust. We, uh, we, have, we have questioned about having dogs on our properties and, and the effect of those dogs, especially on wildlife. And... Um, this is a related issue. If dogs are, are walked on the beach, is how does it affect the water quality? Um, so it's a, a good, a real question for us. You know, how how many dogs and how often and right and and uh, they work in, in Morgan Bay. They walk right on the beach. There's, there's no question about it. Mostly, in fact, we try to keep them out of the woods because they're nesting birds just you know, on inside the <laughs> brush on, on the shore. So. We're uh, kind of between a rock and a bird nest there. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for your call this morning. Thank you. Uh, Carrie, some comments? Uh, yeah, one other thing about uh, the dogs is that it's it's not really so much the number of dogs. It's just really how their waste is managed. Uh-huh. And yeah. I agree with Joe. It doesn't take much. But to complicate it a bit is that there's a flurry of research out there saying that you have regrowth of these indicator, these bacteria in sand and sediments, and if that's been seeded, say, by waterfowl or dog waste, it can leach into the sand, and the sand protects the bacteria from UV radiation, which will kill it. Ah. And so when the tide comes in, resuspends the sand in the water column, that could cause a spike ah. or an exceedance in either, you know, the DMR's uh, water monitoring or beaches. The cleaning up yeah. is the, a big part of it. Also, the escophyllum or the rockweed mats. Um, I know that that's very important to the ecology of that that environment. However, if it's been seeded with bacteria from, again, a dog or, uh, say, waterfowl, it's a prime moist incubator. And, again, once it gets resuspended in the water column. So we're certainly not monitoring the sand, and we can't live in a bubble. It's just 
to be aware of that, uh, mm-hmm. that we risk. Have another, and, yeah. We have another phone call um, from a, a listener. Let's go ahead with that. If you'd give us your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, my name is Bob, and I'm from Searsport. Um, this is on the same topic of uh, closures due to dogs. Uh, our shellfish flats were closed in August 2007, and we... And uh, what I'd like to know is, why, why are they not hiring more people to test the water rather than uh, firing people or reducing the staff? Uh, as I say, it's been four, it'll be four years in August that this area has been closed, and it was just one small area that uh, was the problem. Mm. Well, I wish uh, Senator Snow Miller were still on the line because um, those are the kinds of questions that she was um, certainly getting as a chair of the Marine Resources Committee. Um, and your point is um, we care about these, these uh, beaches and we care about um, the uh, shellfish resources. How do we do a good job? Joe Parada? Well, there's, I, I know that there's, there are gigantic budgetary constraints um, on DMR and the whole rest of the state, as we all know. So that's, that's part of the reason. And, uh, but one of the things that, that's going to probably make it as, as good as it could be is the fact that we won't be able to ship shell, shellfish out of state if we don't have good testing here. Um, unfortunately, areas like yours, I, I think, are probably lower on the list because your town is, I'm pretty sure, a, a recreation-only town. So that they try, I, th- I think they try to make sure commercial flats stay open first, and then they sort of work with that. Um, I, if I'm wrong, I hope maybe somebody will call and tell me that's <laughs> true. But that's that's what I've heard in, in the past. So I think there'll be there'll be good monitoring and testing even after this all comes through, because the shellfish industry, um, e- even including recreational, is, is very important to public health. And, uh, and incomes and, and jobs and opportunities for people in the state. So I think um, once, once all the reviews are done, that, that there'll, there'll be good testing. And I, I don't I, – the, re- the reason that there's not more and better, particularly in, protect, in, in towns like, such as yours, is, is, is I think strictly money. Mm. So, so again, um, thanks for your call this morning, uh, Bob. Um, I think we have one more phone call, and then we'll begin to wrap up our show. But if you'd give us your um, first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hooray, Ron. Mary Kelly, Stockton Springs. (laughs) Joe, I dug clams in Frenchman Bay in the 1930s. So my concern for water quality in Hancock, Washington area goes way back. Uh, I'm going to mention a few things quickly because I know you're running out of time. One, composting toilets, formerly known as privies. Abby Rockefeller in Cambridge, Mass., installed a composting toilet. I do go back from time to time, and I'll tell you the outboard discharge of diesel is affecting those clams as well as other things that you've mentioned. Uh, The other thing I'd like to say, Ron, is please do a follow-up program on this. Michael Peterson, Libra Foundation at the University of Maine, Orono, has a grant for tidal power, turbine power, which would eliminate a lot of the uh, pollution which is happening or threatening. So please do a follow-up program on that. Uh, This was discussed in the 30s when 
as a child, I listened to the tidal uh, turbines, which, by the way, are installed in the world over, uh, and funded, by the way, by grants from the Department of Energy. So I won't go into it because I know you've got very little time. Please follow this up. Great. So I'm so glad Frenchman Bay is involved in these issues. Okay. Thank you very right. much for your Thanks. phone call. Bye-bye. And that's probably all the phone call time we have today, but I want to get uh, Joe and, and Carrie to just say I'm worried about um, where people could find out more about what they can do at home um, to improve water quality. Um, Carrie, you probably work with people in workshops, and Joe, I know you, you have those kinds of things, but very briefly, what, what are some of the, the hints? And this, um, these last two callers were, were talking about some of that. Yeah, well, uh, you can also go to our website, uh, www.mainhealthybeaches.org, or the Sea Grant website, where we have our municipal guide to clean water that you can easily download and print off. Um, but if I have to say, you know, a take-home message is maintain and pump out your septic system. Mm. And if you see any illicit discharges or funny business, please report it. Because mm -hmm. that's how often how we find some mm -hmm. of these these pollution sources. So that could go to your town um, plumbing inspector or to someone from the DMR. Absolutely, right. please right. report it because we need your help. Great yeah. eyes and ears are yeah. really important. Yeah. And Joe, how, how about you? What, what suggestions do you have for the homeowner, the um, the person who lives along the shore um, or along a, a water body? Well, I, I definitely would have included would and do include what Carrie said. You know, working septic systems, make, you know, if you know of or, or know your system's not working properly, you know, get, get it pumped or fixed if it, if it needs to be, especially if you're near the shore. Um, you know, as far as uh, elimination of OBDs, overboard discharges goes, that's very important. Just opening flats, but they can malfunction as well. Um, if you live on the shoreline, if you keep, uh, if you don't, say don't mow 50 feet away from the shore or leave the natural vegetation there, that'll really hinder... Um, well, not hinder. It will hinder color from going into the water, but it will help the water quality and the environment. And um, actually looks pretty good. And, you know, sh shoreland zoning is very important. It was good to hear Senator Snowmellow um, working for both property rights and to protect water quality. Uh, but shoreland zoning regulation, um, strong and, uh, and appropriate, is, is an important thing. If you have cows and horses, please don't have them right on top of drainages and streams. Keep them back a little bit from that, and you know, if you, and you have pasture, leave a buffer zone along the shore, you know, and that's that's kind of this and that kind of stuff. And the better the barrier between coliform source and shellfish growing areas, the safer the shellfish are going to be, the safer the safer the beaches are going to be, and uh, better for everybody. Thanks. Right. Well, thanks to to both of you. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnane House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to Carrie Lindbergh, who is the coordinator of the Maine Healthy Beaches program of University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant, and to Joe Parada, who's chair of the Frenchman's Bay Sh Regional Shellfish Committee. Thanks also to Senator Lois Snow Mello, who is chair of the Marine Resources Committee for joining us by phone. Thanks to those of you who called in 
Thanks to our underwriters. Um, thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. <laughs>